This is a Rooster Teeth production. In 2014, a family of five purchased what they thought was their dream home. But before they could move in, they received a series of threatening anonymous letters from someone who claimed to be observing their new home. Today, we look at the unsettling mystery of the Watcher House. This is Red Web. Welcome back, mystery enthusiasts. I'm Trevor Collins. With me, as always, every single week, Alfredo Diaz. We got a good one, a spicy one today, Fredo. Ooh, this one's hitting a little close to home because I'm currently about to jump into that housing market craze. Ooh. Pick up my first house. Gut instinct, gut check. Yeah, give it to me. Don't buy the house. Don't do Done it. Done buy the house. No, don't buy the house. Oh, God. I was like, what? The house, no. like, <laughs> yeah, like, the house became alive. alive. <laughs> yeah, no, don't buy the house. Yeah. I, I, I can't. There's probably not a strong reason, you know what I mean? Unless it's like, oh, my family is right next door or something like that. But I mean, just don't buy the house. It's It just seems like such a big headache and you can just grab another one. Oh, 100%. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there is no perfect home unless you're building it. Even then it's not perfect. Right. I mean, there, you know, there's the you can get the proximity to work. You can get the cost, the neighborhood, the schooling and everything. You can't get everything. Maybe this house has everything. We don't know. But uh, this is a very unsettling mystery and somewhat recent, right? In 2014, when it all kicked off and it Mm -hmm. lasted into recent years. Very, very disturbing, but for some reason, very intriguing. This is one of those mysteries that made the leap from somewhat traditional true crime, as it were, to the internet. It really hit the internet. The internet loved it and ran away with it and, uh, and got their little hands in there try to figure out what was going on but we'll we'll break down how uh how the family kind of first broke contact or received first contact from this person or whoever they are and mm-hmm. then we'll go into kind of how the police handled the whole situation before going into who this might have been whether it was an individual or a collection of people it's a fascinating story yeah so i'm excited for the watcher here but, mm. it's also i mean maybe just because like I'm already diving into the housing market, the, the uh-huh. crazy housing market that it is today. But it just seems like someone that really wants the house. It doesn't seem like it, that that's just going too far. But they're yeah. like, I want this house. This is the house I want. That makes and a lot of sense. They've, they've gone too far. I can see that happening. Oh, absolutely. Nowadays. Absolutely. Especially with this beautiful neighborhood we're about to describe and everything. Let's earmark that theory and see how this all plays out. And cool, see, cool. Uh, see how accurate you're going to feel. All right. So this all started in June of 2014. We have the Broadus family, including Maria, Derek, and their three children. They purchased this home, a six-bedroom home in the quiet town of Westfield, New Jersey. The home that they purchased was built in 1905. So we got a historic house on our hands. And it went for about $1.3 million. Nice big home. Nice Ooh. area. Yes. Very aesthetically pleasing so there, you know, it's a cushy house. Yeah. Uh, this house was on Boulevard. That's just the name of the street. Simple enough. Not something Boulevard, not something street or Boulevard Street or anything. Just just Boulevard. And uh, this street was uh, 
not a stranger to beautiful houses like this one. It was lined up and down with a lot of these nice looking homes. And this area was considered one of the best places to live in Westfield. Oh, okay. Yeah, see, I'm already I'm thinking people, people do a lot for a house mm -hmm. in terms of, I mean, people, people are getting real, I mean, granted, like I said, I'm in the thick of it. People are just like, you know, I'll waive inspection fees nowadays. So I, I could totally see someone just going, hey, I really want this house. I'm going to start like, you know, threatening and uh, yeah, kind of like annoying these these people. Pulling out all the stops. Yeah. Ooh, that's a I really like that theory. That's a really strong gut check. But Maria and Derek brought us where, you know, they, this is their dream home. They work their whole lives. They're building up. Ah, this is the dream home. In fact, Maria grew up only three blocks away from this house. So this is an area they're pretty familiar with. Mm. And I'm painting a very beautiful picture. Vibrant colors, birds chirping. Everything is going swell. It's like a fine film. But, you know, before fully moving in, they plan on doing some renovations to the home. Their three children often came and played in the backyard. The family's around while they're painting and remodeling and whatever. Okay, so they already own the house. They got the house. They closed on the house, yes. And now, got it. actually, on June 5th, this was three days after the sale closed, is where this really all starts to kick off. Ooh. Derek is painting at the house that evening, and at around 10 p.m., he goes outside to check the mail because it's their home now. This is a homeowner's business. I'm going to go check my mail. And in the mailbox, there was an envelope marked with thick lettering and bad handwriting that simply read, The New Owner. Inside, upon opening that, he found a terrifying typed letter, and I'm going to read a few portions of that letter to you now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to affect the, uh, the watcher persona here a little bit. Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched it in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of this house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. Do you need to fill the house with young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for a growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. Within that very letter, the writer had identified the type of car that the Broadduses drove and expressed anger towards the changes that they were actively making to the house, right? The painting and some of the remodeling. Mm. In the letter, obviously, it became clear that the Watcher had been watching, the family in particular, noticing that they had three children, because not many people would know that unless they were actively pursuing this home. And they continued to say in the letter, quote, There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I'm in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I'm in one. Look out any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. At the bottom of the letter signed in cursive font is the mystery's namesake, The Watcher. So you're working at the house 10 p.m. on an evening. You just got your dream home. You're ready to, to remodel and move in. You find this letter. What do you do? What's your first step? I mean, if I'm with you know, uh, the missus, 
Jackie, we have kids. And I get a letter like this. One, I'm just like, I'm going to try and contact the authorities, mm -hmm. uh, see if there's any, you know, talk to the neighbors, all that kind of stuff. Two, I'm going to be honest. This person started talking about my kids. Out of bounds. That's my kids. It's out of bounds. So I am doing everything I can to secure the house. And I'm not about violence. <laughs> You know, I'm putting weapons in that house first and foremost. I'm putting mm -hmm. firearms in there. I'm not a per I'm, not, I'm not like a gun nut or anything. I don't own a firearm, but I will put firearms in that house, train the family, etc. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, sure, you could you could talk about. I mean, this 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 going off on tangent. You could talk about like it's more dangerous to have them in the house because kids and everything like that. But at the end of the day, someone comes in with a with a gun and I have a bat. What am I going to do? Right. We'll lock them up, keep them safe. But clearly this yeah. letter is someone crossing yeah. the line. Someone I that's way, way across the line. And I'm putting myself in this headspace of this family and being, you know, the the, the man in the house. I'm not going to lie, man. Like if, if anything even suspicious enters that house, I know with like Texas, you know, your property you know, blast away. I don't know what the you know, the gun laws are or anything like that or property laws and all that kind of stuff in Jersey. But I'm willing to die and go to jail for my kids. You know, I'm saying that right here, right now. Like, I that ain't ha no way is that going to fly. Someone threatening to come after my kids. No, you are no, no, battening no. down the hatches, locking the door, purge style, authorities. getting things ready. I feel like yeah. my fight or flight kicks in. I flee. I'm like, I, I'm remodeling this house. I'm not. I'm not coming back to this house. I am. Uh, I'm calling the police, and I'm keeping a distance. Yeah, I want to. I mean, the, right. The next step. That's like short term. Next step is just to get out of there. Yeah. Just forget it. Well, that seems to be what they did. I mean, they hadn't moved in yet. They're still working on the home, but this obviously caused a lot of alarm in in Derek. And so he called the police, and the police were talking to him and asking, "Hey, do you have any enemies? Where can we start?" Obviously, they want to start trying to yeah. chase this down and try to come up with the uh, the logical leads. So he talks to the police for a little bit, and then he obviously goes back home, their previous home, where he informed his wife, Maria, and together they thought, well, let's contact the previous owners, John and Andrea Woods, yep. and see if they have received anything from the watcher before. Because it sounds like this is a generational thing. From the 2060s to now, this family supposedly has been watching over. So let's see if the owners previous have anything to say about it. And the Woods claimed that they had never received any threatening letters until, until days before they moved out on May 26 of 2014. This was their first and only letter, but to me, you know, I think it's odd that they don't mention this, but they're also days away from closing a sale. And so ethically, you would want to disclose this, right? But to them, they're like, well, I want to sell this $1.6 yeah. million dollar home and move on with my life and not yep. cause a fuss. That's the thing. You know, they wash their hands of it and leave. Yeah, they just, you know, they, they got an offer in and they want to get out. Yeah. Well, to be fair, they had lived there for 23 years without incident. They had never received a letter from this person until the like days before the sale closed. Yeah, for so, sure. But they they like they didn't tell the right. family moving in. Right. And that's just because they were just like, uh, this is probably just some weird, crazy thing that's not really going to uh, evolve into anything else. And we got this sale that's going through, like it's it's pretty much locked in. Let's just get the house sold and get out. Yeah. I feel like there might be even some sort of legal 
need to disclaim this, right? Like if someone's passed yeah. away in the home, there's there's states that have laws around that. But, you know, I, I get where they're coming from. The Woodses are saying, hey, all right, it's 23 years without incident. I feel like that's why you broach the subject. You say, I got this weird letter. I think it's just a prank. We haven't had troubles for 23 years that we've been here. We've never mm-hmm. had a letter, but we wanted to let you know ahead of time. But they didn't. Going back to the letter real quick. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things that you read off about it was just the talking about like in the walls and things like that like they're, they're speaking about the house like it's a person yeah i'd want to know the history of this house and going farther back than the previous owners um mm. like you know what was this territory about what was his land um who's previously lived on this land obviously the further back you go it gets harder and harder to break that down and sure and find out the details but but uh, you go back I to the 20s and you're like, why Why are you watching this house? Why then does your kid watch the house and now their kid watches the house? Mm-hmm. That's a that's a great kind of curiosity to chase down. Christian, I don't know if we have the history of the house going back that far, but uh, because I don't have anything in my notes here to, to, to dive into that, we're not planning on doing that, but uh, we should definitely chase that down if available because it could open doors to theories for sure. Because you're right, I think, you know, maybe maybe uh, in the 20s, this is where the grandfather might have lived, or maybe they were a housekeeper of some sort, or a gardener, mm-hmm. or someone, a proprietor of the property in some way. And so maybe that's since evolved, and they just have an intimate connection with this home and its history. That That is a really good curiosity for sure to chase down. Found a little bit on the actual history of the house itself. They were able to trace back the history of buyers all the way back to 1913. Oh, there we go. What's his name? Mm-hmm. The person who bought Is the house. Is it Jonathan Watcher? <laughs> uh, close. It's William H. Davies bought the place for a dollar in 1913. Dang, that's an Whoa. investment. 101 years later, that $1 turned to 1.3. And what is Dang. potentially interesting is that Davies later on became Westfield's mayor. Ooh. Ah. There's okay, so some there's some deep Man, history here. Lots of fun little details there. Yeah. yeah. I'll give you a real quick condensed history. So Davies moved out in 1947, where he sold it to his son and daughter-in-law. Uh-huh. They sold it again in 1951. It was then handed in 1953, and then in 1955, and then the Woods has moved in in 1990. Okay, so so the 20s, 60s, and now this all correspond to some major movements. And those first two, I'm just I'm just picking up what's happening here, are the the mayor and the mayor's son. Yep. And so there's some intimate connections here. Ooh, we're gonna have to pull on these threads in the theories section. I like that. Thank you, Christian. I appreciate that, that background. That was real very juicy. juicy. Good question, Fredo. I love that gut check. But both families went to report these letters to the police, who told them not to share the incident with their neighbors in case any of the neighbors were the watcher. Now, that Mm. is a bit of a pickle because obviously you want to turn to your neighbors to either help or, hey, are you an eyewitness? Did you see anything? But then again, you never know if the person you're asking for help is the person who is leaving the letter. The letter that was sent to the previous owners days before the sale, uh-huh. were they talking to those owners as if they're, you know, going to stay and live there? Was there any 
hints of like they knew that the house was on sale, that they knew that new families coming in. It was just like pretty much the same thing. That's a good question too. I I, I genuinely don't have that information either. And um, Christian, if you happen to have that in your notes as well, so so the the Woods letter. Did that contain information regarding the sale or was it simply informative to say, I'm the watcher, I, I look over this home, mm -hmm. we've done this for generations. Do they talk about knowing the broadest families coming in? From what we could find, there wasn't a lot of info on the contents of the letter that the Woods got. All they said was that the note was odd and it made mm. the, the similar mention of the watcher kind of observing or the watcher's generations observing the, the house over the years, but... I don't think it referenced the sale at all. Gotcha. Okay. So the lack of it. So that's the thing is the lack of information regarding that letter, not only for posterity, for folks like us, but also yeah. at the time, it seemed like it was quite vague. And so maybe the woods mm -hmm. are like, this feels like a bit like a prank. Whereas exactly. the Broadduses had a lot of detail in their letters. And I have a few more excerpts that I'll be reading, but and then they had other letters coming through, too. So it's definitely a little bit different and more intimate towards the Broadduses, and I'm mm. sure that's where the imbalance of concern lies. So I've been doing a little more digging, and actually further in the letter that we referenced where it said 657 is anxious for you to move in, later in that letter, the watcher said, the Woods family turned it over to you, it was their time to move on, and kindly sold it when I asked them to. And then oh. the Woods mention, the one they received was more strange than threatening and that in the letter the watcher thanked them for taking care of the house huh interesting so no there's still no explicit statement one way or the other but there's a lot of implications there yeah that's that's really fascinating to know now despite this letter coming through despite their their fear of it and calling the police and trying to chase it down it didn't really stop them from working on the new home and, and continuing their plans to move in and so two weeks later on june 18th the broadduses still hadn't fully moved in but they were continuing to work and they received yet another letter now this letter had a few excerpts that i'm going to read here quote 657 boulevard is anxious for you to move in it has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement, or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. This time the watcher also included the birth order of the children and knew their nicknames and recalled hearing the couple call their names very loudly. The watcher wrote that they saw their children, their daughter in particular, painting on an easel on the front porch and asked, is she the artist of the family? The watcher also asked who lived in each room. Quote, all of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. End quote. So at this point, the family put a hold on moving anything else into the new house, choosing to stay at Maria's parents because it is believed that her parents also lived in Westfield, so she was nearby. But yeah, for safety, let's get out of here. Let's go somewhere else, be near family, where we can have other people watching us, because smart, deeply unsettling, this next uh, this next letter. Yeah, I just... that That's a rough one, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because that's very threatening um, and directed towards the children. Yeah. And these are things that are 
actively happening in your household that they are relaying back to you. So there's no gray area, you know, this person knows the kids, uh, the nicknames. So they're close in proximity, close enough to like hear what you're saying, close enough to see the daughter. Um, this is a real threat. This is a real danger. Right. Again, I just, all I can say is it's deeply unsettling. The The amount of personal details that are yeah. coming out of this is, is frightful, but also like painting vivid imagery across these two letters of if they were in the basement, you were upstairs, you wouldn't hear him scream or uh, I hear you, I see you on the porch or uh, when you look out the windows, think of all the people that could see you from any angle. He's, he, I, I say he, they are setting up an environment where no matter what room you're in, you don't feel safe. And I don't understand necessarily the purpose here. And we'll try to circle back around to this question in the theory section on who this might be and what their motive might be. But thus far, it's strange to me, if you, if you think in the present terms uh, in 2014, to be the family that's receiving such threatening letters on the aft end of a family that had no letters for 23 years, you start to ask yourself, what is the purpose of this watcher? What If, if you're watching the home to keep it historically accurate per se is it because they're making the remodels that they're coming after them if they stop doing the remodels will they suddenly back off it's just it's very strange i think the weird thing though is that there there was a letter sent to the previous owners true but only days before they knew this family was coming or potentially knew but how would they have known that the new family wanted to even remodel the place that's a really good question. That's just such a big assumption. 100%. I didn't even think about that. And on top of that, the sale wasn't made public. No one knew about this sale until it obviously closed and you have public records. But at the time of the first letter coming to the woods, and we'll talk about this again later on, no one should have known outside of the parties involved. And so unless the neighbors are involved or gossip gets around, I'm thinking this is like a real very dark, desperate housewives sort <laughs> yeah. of situation, you know, where where something very outlandish happens because drama buried under drama or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's why, in my mind, this immediately gets relocated. Any suspects are located immediately in that area because it's all word of mouth or someone directly involved. It's the only way they would know that either A, a remodel was going to happen or that B, the sale was on in the first place. Yeah. Very strange. It just seems like it's someone very close to the area or yeah. the parties involved. I would agree, 100%. But obviously at this point, they're living with Maria's parents and they stop bringing their children over to the house at this point. I think that was a wise move. Probably wouldn't have started that sooner. But, you know, it, it started out feeling like a prank, so I don't fault them at all. But definitely at this point, very scary. They continued to upkeep the house and they paid the mortgage and they checked the mail ultimately while not living in it. They continued to do everything that a good homeowner would do, but they stayed away. Now on July 18th, precisely a month after the previous letter or the previous letter that we just discussed, the watcher noticed the delay and wrote a few things and I'll just read a few snippets. Where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. So at this point, we have, like, let's think of how this investigation might kick off. We have the police informed, we have a few letters, we have handwriting, we have the watcher's narrative, if you can even trust that, the fact that they say the history goes back to the 20s with their family. 
And we have the possibility of concrete observations, right? You have the opportunity for cops to stake out the area or for mm -hmm. neighbors to have seen things. But those are the only things that might be able to offer strong leads because right. of outside of literally going door to door and talking about this and alerting the potential suspect, you don't have a whole lot. At this no, juncture, no. no witnesses. You know, how do you even go about getting information from neighbors, whether you're a cop or the family here themselves? Can you be sure of anyone around you at this at this point is a question I feel like I would be lit up with. Can I trust anybody? I think, um, yeah, I mean, at that point, you you're questioning everyone and everything. Mm -hmm. The only thing that I'm, you know, latching onto right now in terms of like, a positive outlook is the fact that they haven't like followed them to this other location. That's very true. Oh my God. I couldn't imagine. Right? Like that would be all of this is a pain and it's terrible, etc. But like the really like really over the top big, I mean, this is over the top, but hi, Maria's mom. I'm the watcher. Like, oh yeah. The thing that would just like full send it into the stratosphere for me is if the watcher followed them because at that point you go, okay, this person's latched on to our family yep. no matter where we go. Yeah. Right? Selling the house isn't going to do anything. We can move anywhere and this person might still follow. Oh, this is so weird. This yeah. is also like, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's deeply uncomfortable. One thing I want to point out that my gut is feeling is like, Okay, if you started because the house was being sold and you started, maybe this was the transition between father and son and the son is much more active of a watcher. I don't know. But to start and antagonize the family under the guise of, or that we theorize is because they're remodeling and repainting and changing this historical home. Why then turn around and say, where have you gone? The house is missing you. Essentially urging them to come back. Right, it's, that's it's what you this, wanted them to right. leave. So it's this very uncertain, I just don't know what this person is after. And it makes it very hard to pin down any potential motive, mm -hmm. suspect, what have you. But without further ado, let's dive into the investigation and the follow-up around some of this information. Now, we don't have a paper trail or fingerprints from these letters, so there really isn't a whole lot for the police to go off of here. Now, when they look at the letters, they're postmarked to Kearney, New Jersey, but they don't have a return address because if they did, that would be wildly stupid of whoever yeah. did it and the case would be closed. But so just for reference for this postmark information, Kearney is about 16 miles away from Westfield and it's the location of a USPS or United States Postal Service distribution center. So if it was mailed as it seems like it was, it was mailed from a local town or location or or whoever it was didn't drive super far away to put it into a drop box so that starts to limit the area obviously someone's not coming in from out of town or whatever i think we know that based on the letter's contents that we know whoever this is is certainly local and they yeah. didn't go too far out of their way to hide where this letter is coming from God, the uh the complexity that it would ha add if you know the, the mailing was coming from the outside because in right. the back of your mind you're always just like do you know what do they have set up is there are they using tech is this person actually really here mm -hmm. they could be anywhere at this point we you know you it felt like it was right on the block but maybe they're not yeah yeah i mean it could have been way worse they could have drove way out of town got a cab got a yeah. rental whatever 
and just found one of those blue boxes, slipped the letter in and said, whatever. Made things even more confusing. There's no cameras there, there's no nothing. But going back to the investigation and this postmarked letter coming out of Kearney, New Jersey, that was postmarked on June 4th of 2014. So again, I reiterate that at this point in time, even still, after closing, the sale was not yet public and the contractors who were remodeling the house only began working on it on June 3rd. So from this information, we can infer that whoever this is, is, is definitely watching as they say, and actively so. Because yes, it could be any of the parties. It could be a contractor, one of the selling families or buying families, etc. But what this confirms regardless is that whoever is writing these letters is definitely watching and responding very quickly. I think it's, man, it's quite intriguing actually, because it's writing that line, like you're trying to say of um, anyone and no one all at the same time. Right. Because it has to be someone actively close to the family mm -hmm. and the location. Right. So it really limits it. So, yeah. So but. It, it limits it. But, you know, obviously but it could be anybody. Public street could be anybody. Ugh. Um, man, that is. Are, was this place like in the suburbs? That's a good question. It, pretty much. I mean, it's not like it's a city. It, right. It's, uh, but it certainly is. I mean, most of New Jersey is essentially the suburbs for New York City and other uh, metropolis areas around. But. Let me double check real quick just to be sure. Because, I mean, if it's like a little tiny cul-de-sac, that makes it... I mean, obviously, I don't I don't think it is because it'd be so easy to see cars coming in and out, but... I mean, yeah, it's definitely developed. Uh, you know, it's very close to Newark, New Jersey. But otherwise, you know, it, it feels very much like the suburbs of Austin, the, the old school city streets that were once on the outskirts of the city, but the city has since grown. So they're neighborhoods that are very close in proximity yeah. to a metropolis. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you know, it's not a super busy city street or anything like that. No, but it is like well known for being mm -hmm. a, a safe area, uh, an area to raise your family, having beautiful homes. So in that sense, it's very much got the, uh, the quintessential American dream imagery to it, you know? Yeah. But otherwise, I don't know how highly trafficked it would be outside of that. But to continue the investigation from this point, the police interviewed neighbors, uh, former residents of the home, former housekeepers of the home, like we talked about. Maybe the watcher was an ex-housekeeper or something. Ultimately, they never made an arrest from these folks and didn't find out much information. Other people that were considered were the prospective buyers that were going up against the Broadduses for this house who were outbid by the Broadduses. But of these potential buyers, one had backed out of the sale themselves and the other actually found a different home that they preferred and went and bought that. So it really doesn't seem that someone like you, I, I think you actually kind of saying this earlier, that someone was trying to chase them out, at least not of the people that they were actively bidding against. Yeah, it wasn't like a big bid war. People mm -hmm. were getting really emotional about it. Okay. All right. It doesn't, I don't think that that totally removes your theory from the table though. I mean, maybe because this was close to closing or they knew it was on contract, this could be a totally anonymous family that came through and, and True. wasn't involved, but wanted to be. So I, I still think there's something there possibly. 
But again, you know, the police are saying, okay, well, is there anything that we can go off of? Do you have any established relationships or enemies in the area or or anything, any drama? And the Broadduses were saying, no, I mean, we, we don't have any issues with the new neighborhood or the new neighbors or whatever. But obviously they were growing extremely paranoid. In fact, Maria was diagnosed eventually with PTSD from the experience that she had from the Watcher's letters. So this was becoming very serious for the family, as you can imagine. The couple actually made a few efforts to track down and catch the Watcher in the act. They hired their own private investigator. They got a handwriting analyst. Again, looking at whatever few things they had at their disposal. They actually placed cameras in the house and watched to see if anyone was getting close or looking through windows or what have you. I think it's very smart to try yeah. to catch this person in the act. I like hearing all this. Oh yeah. And six months after purchasing the home on Boulevard, they decided, okay, we've had enough. We gotta get out of here. They started trying to sell it. They had a very difficult time trying to find a buyer. In fact, they could not find a buyer and they won't have sold the house for quite some time after this point, oh. but we'll get there. Yeah. So in the struggle to find a buyer, the Broadduses got very upset. I mean, this is a very tumultuous time for them. And they decided to sue the Woodses because they thought, hey, you should have told us about this Watcher's letters. Mm -hmm. Because on one hand, we're facing a lot of mental health concerns and a lot of stressors and undue stress on our family. And there's threats coming through. You didn't tell us anything about this. Now exactly. we're saddled with a house that we can't live in, we don't feel comfortable with, and we can't even sell because word is getting out about the Watcher here and nobody wants to step into that home. It's 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 worse than a haunted house, I would assume, because you have an active person writing letters to you and threatening you with details. I mean, rightfully so, going after the previous family. Hmm. Um, that, that information should have been put on the table. It, yeah. it really should have been. Oh yeah. You know, I get it. The Woods didn't have any problems. They might've thought, hey, this is just a prank. We had no issues for 23 years, but you're right doesn't matter and i know that this is gonna ruffle some feathers on the closing days but you gotta say something you really have to like, yeah that's important stuff and uh, obviously very important the the ripple effect that it's had oh absolutely i mean it only gets worse too when you consider the struggle that they have to try to sell this place they have the lawsuit now and they actually drop the lawsuit but it doesn't really change the fact that this essentially was like the Barbara Streisand effect for this situation. All it did was bring more public attention to the Watcher mystery. The media started increasing their responses regarding uh, the lawsuit lead and the Watcher situation. And this is where it really sparked interest on the internet and really caught fire there and spread. And so now this only complicated the situation further. They have a house that is further saddled with just a very negative story to it, a very fearful story. And uh, at this point, they're saying, we got to do whatever we got to do. We're going to tear down this dream home. We're going to replace it with two smaller homes. Maybe we can do this as a, a rental property, or maybe because we tore it down, we can add value by putting new homes down. It's very Austin sort of mindset, very, right, very yeah. city <laughs> sort of mindset. But Maybe they can get two sales out of it. So that way it's completely disassociated from this mystery and this supposed watcher. Oh, man. Uh, someone just help this family, please. Right. This is just so heartbreaking. Well, let's let's table the heartbreak until we get uh, further on. Maybe uh, maybe you might rescind that. I don't know. I don't know. The twists and turns of the Red Web series continues. So they had these two new homes proposed, okay? They go to the board of whatever. I forget what the, what it's called. It's not really an HOA. 
the neighborhood planning board, I think is what it would be called. And they say, here are the two houses we would like to propose to put on this property after tearing it down. However, funnily enough, this is so bureaucratic. The houses would be three feet too small for the required size of the neighborhood. So they said, all right, we need to have the neighborhood planning board appeal the rule that this that this neighborhood needs certain sized houses. But the planning board unanimously rejected their proposal on January of 2017. So this is almost three years later now that they finally get this proposal rejected. That's so long. Have yep. they been harassed for that entire time? That's another good question. I know we, we've kind of tabled the letters Christian, were they getting letters throughout this entire time? Throughout this whole series of events, there was a total of four letters addressed to the Broadduses. Interesting. Oh. So we, we've covered two, but I, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that we're not missing anything because this one definitely has enough concrete material going on that I, I'd be remiss if we, if we dropped anything. But coming back to that situation though, and this will be very important later on, it seems like many, many of the neighbors in this area were very vocal about their feelings regarding the proposal. You know, when they looked at the Westfield Facebook groups, a lot of people were showing up at the hearings and many of them ultimately claimed that changing this rule would ruin their neighborhood aesthetically. So now we have the situation of, hey, you're gonna ruin our precious Westfield, if you force the rule for smaller houses to come, if you get rid of that rule, it's gonna it's gonna change who we are. You're turning like the uh, mm, the neighborhood against you, kind of something mm. you don't really want to do. But here's the thing, man: no no empathy from the neighbors. Do the neighbor? Okay, you're gonna devalue our neighborhood by putting smaller homes. I, I think uh, a very threatening presence might be devaluing your neighborhood. I'm just going to put that out there. Right. The watchers devaluing your, your neighborhood. <laughs> Let's just really take a look at the the, the big picture here. Right. And I, I feel like there's some comfort in knowing that the that the neighbors could this is just an assumption that that the neighbors are kind of like keeping an eye out and you, you know you're good with, you're cool with the neighbors and everything like that. And then you turn them against you. It's just like, man, who do you even have, right? Right. You lost the sympathy of like the neighborhood. If you ever had it, I mean, if you had it, that's rough. I feel like that's the 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 stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, it's one thing if somebody wants to put up like this really spectacular home that's twisty and turny and very modern. I don't even want to say modern because that's a style now, but like a Seussian home, something that Dr. Seuss would have drawn. Like, I get that. If you're like, listen, I've been here for 20 years and that's a mm -hmm. bit of an eyesore. Maybe you want to talk to your neighbors about that. But this is like a rule that says these houses are three square feet too too small. Oh, come on. <laughs> it's so much. My it's, rules. It's very Right. It's very, um, I have nothing else going on. And so I'm going to fight for this and prune my garden a little bit. And mm. I don't know. Um, but you know, let's, let's like from that back out just a little bit and paint a little picture of Westfield, uh, uh, some more, uh, at this point in time, it was rated the U S 30th safest town. It's very clumsy of the words, but I, and I don't know how you figure that out, but of, of all the towns in, in the United States, uh, I mean, what is that, 95th, 99th percentile, like, to be rated that safely. And that's by Neighborhood Scout. Yeah, it's, it's pretty high up there. That's the kind of neighborhood you want to raise a family in. Yeah, so I mean, maybe, uh, I don't know, like, I'm not trying to play devil's advocate, but clearly these, these folks here 
hold their neighborhood to a high esteem and they're very defensive of changing that. Again, I don't think a smaller home is gonna change that, but to paint more of a vivid image here, many of the residents at this time at least didn't even lock their doors. And that makes me think like, what is this, the 20s? You gotta be locking your doors. People be yeah. walking Wilson Nilsson right through your front door, pick up the piano and walk out. Really, you really gotta be. But those were the times, oddly enough. This is 2014, what do you mean the oh, times? Oh, wait, wait, no, no, no. Just wait, <laughs> wait, no, no, no. No, I'm, I, I was like thinking of, what was it, the first Annabelle movie? Oh, yeah. When the was that, the 70s? Was just, yeah, the 70s, where they were just Something like, like oh, just leave the door open, it's fine. No. All it takes is one for me. I'll put uh, five deadbolts on there. Yeah, no, 2014, no one's leaving <laughs> doors open. Um, I was just thinking, at, like, Annabelle. Um, yeah, no, that, you know what? Your gut instinct is right on. I'm, I'm cutting you off a second, but mm -hmm. it is worth mentioning. A little factoid here. I got two of them. A factoid here. Going back to 1971, Westfield was the home of a notorious murderer named John List, who murdered his wife, mother, and three children at their home. So it's not like this neighborhood is completely a stranger to this inf this kind of uh, activity. Damn, that's not that far back. Yeah, it's not, it's not too far back. It's not the recent history, but it goes to the 70s, like you're saying. This is why I would have felt Westfield would have learned to lock their doors, but I guess you can't... I guess if it's your family member, that's a different story. 2014, though, you locked that up. Come on. If you're not locking your door, if you're listening to this podcast... For me, just just for me, try it out. See how it feels. Lock that door. Okay, thank you. I heard it. I heard it click. I feel better. I There's feel still better people now. <laughs> that don't do that. I, I have. Oh, please. I, if you don't mm, do that, don't. don't it's really don't weird. Do that. I, I do know people who live in neighborhoods that they don't lock their doors. It's Granted, it's like a more secured neighborhood. Uh, sure. Right. Secure, it's, just, it's a, a mental thing for me. It's a more secluded neighborhood. But I mean, it's very much just like, yeah, we don't leave our door locked. The dog comes in now. I'm just like, that's insane. That, that is wild. Yeah. I mean, I think of movies like Hush, right? Fantastic film. Yep. Uh, house in the middle of the woods, house in the middle of nowhere, whatever the, the location is for your particular horror film of the day. But yeah, you know, like it doesn't even matter how secluded you are. I feel like you just, you gotta lock that thing because you just don't know who's going to be creeping, crawling out of the woods deciding to play with you that day. You have no idea. Yeah. Another little factoid that uh, Christian and I thought would be interesting here is that a uh, little less sinister than the previous one, but the Adams Family creator uh, actually came from this town and the, and the oh. home. Yeah. And the home that the Adams Family house was based on is, is reminiscent of the homes in this area. So probably a little bit more eccentric and a little more exaggerative, but it gets, it gives you an idea of kind of this, this location. And, uh, you know, it isn't just like a random neighborhood per se. Like there's definitely something historical to it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty a nice fun fact. Yeah. A little fun fact to give us a little pause in the fear, oh, but all the things that are going on. Right. Hey everybody. Welcome to the gap here in the middle of the episode where I get to talk to you all that's right, about many things going on. This week, actually, we are in the midst of RTX. And what does that mean for you? What is RTX? Well, RTX is the uh, annual convention that we do every year. Normally, we do it in person, but uh, this year we're doing a special online version with all the things that have been going on. And if you're listening to this podcast, the day it launches tomorrow is our panel, the Red Web panel. It's free for everybody, so you can come hang out. 
uh, if you want to ask us questions in the chat, I think you need to make an account, but that's super easy. You can sign in with your Google account or you can just make one. Easy does it. But if you want more information on all of that, it's rtxevent.com. I'm super excited about it. Super excited to see you all there. We also have a happy hour, but I do believe that that is sold out. You guys jumped right in there. It's going to be the annual meeting of the minds, the task force conference call. We're going to talk to you all about what your favorite theories and ideas have been so far. Or if you have any theories that we missed that you wanted us to look at, we can talk to you guys. Sit down. You, me, Alfredo, Christian, we're all going to be there talking to you guys about the mysteries that we have discussed, our favorite moments and everything. Just an open dialogue with you all, and uh, we'll probably do it again in the future. So keep an ear out here to these little moments between the mysteries uh, where I do some housekeeping for uh, future versions of this. We also have a YouTube channel. That's right. A lot of you listen to podcasts on YouTube, and so we said, hey, we see you. And we want you to see us. So we have a YouTube channel now over at youtube.com slash redwebpod. We're going to upload episodes one at a time there. We're going to start uh, from for right now. It's got a basic animatic kind of look to it. Eventually, we're going to try to edit in the visuals. So you don't always have to go to our social media handle if you don't want to. And then eventually this opens the door for us to do new and exciting mystery tangential content. So we've talked about Fredo and I doing Randonautica running out into the world doing that, or going onto location, or just having other series pop up that complement this podcast. The world is our oyster, so uh, this gives us the ability to do that if we are so inclined. So go subscribe, support us there if you'd like. That way you can listen to our podcast literally wherever you prefer. Awesome. But with all that said, I want to dive into some of the fantastic sponsors we have today. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Are you looking for another podcast to add to your rotation? One that's entertaining and informative, perhaps? Then we recommend you check out our sponsor, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Jordan dives into the minds and experiences of fascinating people. From former FBI agents to scientists to mobsters to hostage negotiators, they have it all. And Jordan gets them to share their thought-provoking insights and never-before-heard stories. Fans of Red Web might check out Jordan's recent interview with CoffeeZilla, who exposes scammer gurus, or Frank Barassa, the world's greatest counterfeiter. A lot of episodes in there, if you're a fan of what we do here, that you're going to like over with Jordan's show. Point Blake, Jordan Harbinger is smart, funny, and easy to listen to, and that's why he was named one of the best podcasts for Apple in 2018. You can't go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting, and there's never a dull show. Search the Jordan Harbinger show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is also sponsored by Candid. There's a specialist for just about everything, right? When your car breaks down, you go to the mechanic. So when you want to get your uneven teeth fixed, you see the orthodontist. They're the specialists, and that's what sets Candid, the invisible, comfortable, and removable aligners, apart. While other companies use general dentists, Candid only works with orthodontists. With Candid, the same orthodontist who created your plan is with you from start to finish. You can book an appointment at a Candid studio near you, or do everything from the comfort and convenience of your own home. Candid can help you get the straighter, brighter smile you've always wanted. Right now, you can save $75 on your Candid starter kit uh, when you get started from home. Or you can book an appointment at a Candid studio near you today. Go to CandidCO.com slash RedWeb and use code RedWeb to let them know we sent you. That's CandidCO.com slash RedWeb, code RedWeb 
Take advantage of this limited time offer to save $75 on your starter kit. CandidCO.com slash RedWeb with code RedWeb. And with that said, let's get right back into the mystery. Well, obviously, as the investigation continued, fellow residents of the once idyllic boulevard grew very frustrated with the negative attention that the Watcher story was bringing. Again, I feel like they're not helping each other with this whole situation. Nope. But I digress. Later that year, the Broadduses managed to find someone willing to rent what became known as the Watcher House. But the lease included a clause that would allow the renters to leave if the Watcher sent yet another letter. So they're finally out of the home. They've been paying for it for a few years. Very pricey home for for anybody, I would say. But at least they were able to find someone willing to rent the place with the protection of this clause. So, you know, I'm happy for the family. They're not just like losing money keeping this place now, but... That clause, man. At any moment, bam, done. You gotta... That's just landlord heartbreak, heart just to shatter into pieces because you got to deal with that. It's always looming over your head. Uh. Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't you have it, but only two weeks after these renters moved in, mm. they received the last letter from the watcher. The letter was once again addressed to Maria and Derek, the owners of the home, not the renters. It was basically, renters, you're there. I'm putting this letter in, but it's not for you. And so clearly the fact that the, you know, it's a two week response time now, the person's not watching daily, but the fact that they were able to nab renters this quickly after many years is, is to me either saying A, it is certainly a neighbor or B, yeah, come on. This person has a very unhealthy hobby and needs some help, (sighs) but let's dive into what this final letter had to say to Maria and Derek. Violent winds and bitter cold. To the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. You wonder who the Watcher is? Turn around, idiots. I watched you as you watched from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. My soldiers of the boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the Watcher. Maybe a car accident. Maybe a fire. Maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash, bones break. You are despised by the house. And the Watcher won. In August of 2019, the Broadduses were finally able to sell 657 Boulevard for around $400,000 less than they initially bought it for. (sighs) But hey, they're out from under that house. Yeah. It's weird, man. He came back uh, with the jab saying, you ruined this house, but the house misses you. Like this person, whoever is writing this, very. And they're personifying this house. And, And to me, that's why, that's, oh, that's why I'm so in love with the information you, you asked uh, of Christian uh, was that, you know, that ex-mayor, that that family that started in this home or not started, but moved in very quickly and maybe a decade after it was first built. But to me, that says this this grandson of 
in theory, of the potential mayor. Maybe that's why they're personifying this, because they've built this house up to be mm-hmm. their familial home, and they just can't afford it now, or, or they lost it, or a number of situations we could infer. But thankful for the family, you know, that they came out unharmed outside of the mental wounds God. that they incurred. But... Um, that's just wild situation. Years and years of a, of a mess to deal with. Five years and two months. Oh, uh, yeah. So much, and they lost so much money on the place too. I mean, that's secondary. I think at this point, just oh, getting out completely. from under it, I'm just like, whatever. But but you're not wrong. It's it that is a chunk of change, man. But hey, <sighs> let's dive into the theories, the suspects. I know we, as always, we've kind of trickled them out as we have our gut feelings along the way but uh but it gets really interesting here we're going to talk about two families in particular and then go into uh, a more broad approach theory but the most likely suspect for this case is that of the neighbors the langford family they were right next door and they were considered by the police to be suspects the family had lived in that home next door since the 1960s which Halfway lines up with uh, some of the timelines given by the Watcher. That's when the the father figure started watching in the 60s. And the widowed mother shared the home with her adult children. So she's alone. She has the adult children there. In particular, Michael Langford, whose father passed away in 2002. And so this could be, you know, again, this fits that timeline roughly. And this could be where the Watchers kind of talks about their generations of Watchers. And maybe this is the transition between the father watching and now the son. So when it comes to the Langfords, many of the people living in the neighborhood considered them to be eccentric. Some called them strange. I'm quoting them in particular for a coming reason here. I want to be a little bit sensitive to the nature of the information to come. But Mostly people believed that he was harmless. You know, he would sometimes peek into the windows of neighboring houses. But again, the neighbors didn't think that he was capable of the language used in the letters. The the violent kind of implications, the threats, the, hey, if they're screaming in the basement, you won't be able to hear him. That kind of creepiness. They just didn't think, despite what they considered, quote, strange, that he was capable of that. But in further investigations in years past, Sandy... Michael's brother did come forward and say that Michael was diagnosed with schizophrenia as a young man. So this could play into what's happening here in a lot of different ways. It could implicate him as far as becoming a watcher and being a watcher, but it also could answer as to why uh, the family was considered eccentric and and the neighbors just didn't know about this information. So that doesn't necessarily make him guilty, but it, it is certainly an interesting fact that is worth noting in this, uh, and, and why he's kind of considered a suspect. Yeah, you can't rule that person out. You just really can't. Right. But, uh, you know, the, the police approached Michael and they're starting to talk and, and not interrogate, but interview him about this situation. And in that conversation, Michael says to the police that he really didn't know anything about the letters. Now, you can take him at face value. I could go ahead and say I didn't know anything about Red Web until this day, but <laughs> that would be a lie. But ultimately, what what's what's strongest about this to me is the timeline and the proximity. You know, they lived close enough to be able to hear things that the Watcher had written about. They lived close enough to see things that the Watcher had written about. Remember the daughter on the porch? Yep. That porch was very clearly visible from the Langford's home. We hear Maria calling the nicknames for the kids. That could be heard from next door. Maybe not inside, but 
you know, outside or what have you. And uh, and so there's a lot of um, a lot of possibility here for this household to be the origin of these letters. But it's so unlike that person to do such a thing. Yeah, you can't cut that person out. That's, mm -hmm. Well, here's that's the wrinkle, and this is going to be the part that you love the most for one reason and might hate for the wrinkle. But in the end, you know, we have these letters coming through. A lot of people out there licking those letters closed, rubbing their supple tongues down the edge of a piece of paper. <laughs> I would never be caught old. dead doing that, by the way. I use uh, dip your finger in some water and touch that thing. I don't want a paper cut on my tongue. <laughs> Supple. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, but DNA analysis, okay, shows that the saliva used to seal the envelope showed that whoever was writing this uh, letter and sealed it up was a woman. And so Michael Langford was then uh, discontinued as a suspect. But after that revelation, Michael's sister, Abby Langford, was considered an alternate suspect. But the police tested her DNA and it was determined to not be a match for that of the envelope. So with no physical evidence, no motive, the Langfords were discontinued as suspects for this case and the police moved on. Now, I really appreciate, and I'm sure you do too, the fact that the DNA entered the fray. They're looking for who could have uh, licked this letter closed. But I also have to say, like, could it have been the mom? Did the mom have her DNA tested? Was it Ooh. possible that someone wrote a letter, took it to the USPS or whatever, and then had somebody like a clerk close it for them and said, hey, could you close this letter for me? Or I, I'm, I'm, you know, I got a dry mouth today or I don't know. <laughs> My, you got a supple tongue. You want to lick this closed? Uh, <laughs> can you lick this for me? I don't like it's gross. My tongue isn't working. There's such I a mean, hell no, <laughs> hell <laughs> no. You about to frame me? Don't lick a stranger's letter. That's don't rule do number that. fifty-seven of Red Web Task Force that's rules. My, that's my DNA all over the place. Look, it's a big book of lots of rules, and a lot of mm -hmm. them is like hell no, and then you know the rule. But <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> rule, yeah, like, yeah, like you said, rule fifty-seven. Don't lick a stranger's envelope under any circumstances. God. We'll build that law book out soon enough. That way you guys all live safe. Rule number, right before it, funnily enough, 56, lock your doors, chump. Yeah. I don't know why they put that language in there. Fredo, maybe you type that. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I don't sure. know. I don't know. We got to, <laughs> it's, uh, who's the author? We'll find wait, out. Wait, wait. We'll blame, we'll blame, uh, ah, Dirk. Yeah. Dirk, Dirk did, did it. Dirk did it. Self-titled <laughs> book by Dirk. A lot of rules. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he wears a lot of hats. But uh, the Langfords are off the table. I do think that there is a, there's a lot, there's a lot of connected tissue there that I, I, I can't fully recuse them in my own personal humble opinion as a non-investigator, as an enthusiast of mysteries. I think that that's a very interesting family. A lot of interesting facts there. But uh, if the DNA is to be believed that it is the person who wrote the letter that licked it closed, I'm with you. I feel it. Now there's another theory, and this is gonna blow some minds out there, that the person that wrote this stemmed actually from the Broadus family themselves, that the Broadus couple fabricated the Watcher story for whatever reason. There's a couple of reasons that it could be, but after purchasing this very expensive home, they could have maybe realized that maybe they couldn't afford it. And so they were trying their best at the end of the contract period to have the owners let the Broadduses know, and so the Broadduses could say, ah, deal's over, deal's done. 
I would say, listen, just be honest. If you can't afford this home and the mortgage payments, it's cheaper to just end the contract then and there because you as the buyer are the only person that can end it right before. Yep. And just, you know, lose that escrow or lose the down payment or the deposit or whatever. Okay. And move on. This is like the weirdest. So (laughs) I'm not saying that that theory is strange. I mean, it's strange if that's actually what they did, but the theory is possible entirely. But another thing here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be tugging on this thread again later, like I said, but even the neighbors seem to be wondering how the family could have moved to this neighborhood. I'm not sure exactly how they came across this information, but I guess they found out that the previous home that they had owned was a $300,000 home. And so they're saying, oh. okay, you've gone up in value at least a million dollars. So yeah. how were you able to afford this? It makes it, it, you know, it does call into question the affordability, but hey, a lot of people stay in their initial homes for a variety of reasons that I won't judge anybody for. But then, you know, they want to move to their dream home. Maybe they yeah, saved up. Yeah. Most people, most people's first home purchase isn't the home that they stay in as like, you know, that they end up living the rest of their lives in. Yeah. They might have grown into and out of it and then decided, hey, we got our chunk of change now. Let's go get that dream home, baby. Yeah, get something bigger. You Again, know, I don't, you know, build I'm not that trying equity, to... buy that, you know, pay yeah. off the house. Yeah, I mean, like, listen, I'm not trying to argue with this piece of the theory, but I do have to call, you know, my my opinions out there. When I when I get that gut instinct, I have to, you know, I'm just gonna throw it out there a little bit. So yeah, I mean, like, ultimately creating a stalker of the previous owners and that the previous owners didn't tell them about could be what they were trying to do in order to get that ejection notice. Like, hey, let's pull the ripcord back out of this deal, you know. But the key pieces that build onto this idea, that do help this theory, are that the family didn't in fact pursue the lawsuit. They dropped the lawsuit. And, you know, to me, it did seem like there were strong grounds to maintain and pursue that lawsuit. Now, you know, extenuating circumstances or cost of the lawsuit aside, it's strange that they would drop it if if they weren't the parties behind it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Another key piece behind this theory is that the previous owners never really received the letter until a few days before they moved out. And the sale, again, to harp on this, was not yet public information. So that really continues to say, hey, whoever knew about this, whoever wrote this letter, was either a directly involved party or this watcher who might exist is very active. It's hard so, to say. So close though. Mm-hmm. Oh man. That's just so weird. There's so many little intricate details that the watcher knows. Yeah. I think the key issue for this theory beyond my own opinions is the fact that the couple made a handful of expensive renovations on the house. And the fact that Maria herself, the mother, was diagnosed with PTSD from the entire experience. And so you have to wonder, was this maybe the father? And the father was so reckless with this pretty avant-garde plan to back out of a contract that he was willing to spend more money on the house, remodeling it, knowing that he was trying to get out from under it and also harm his wife's mental health and put fear into the entire family. it's, It's a pretty big wrinkle, you know? It's a, I don't know, it's a bit of, it's kind of a stretch for me. Yeah. Now, before we continue, there is another pretty nuanced wrinkle, another big wrinkle in this theory that I kind of wanted to talk about. 
But there's another interesting tidbit that happened going back to the timeline that will kind of play into that information. About a year after the Watcher sent letters to the Broadus family, apparently another house on Boulevard received a different letter from the Watcher. Oh. I'm not sure if we have the context of that one or what they discuss in it, but since that household contained an older couple and their children were already adults, they too simply ignored it. This family also thought that it was just a prank. So it's interesting. This this is a beginning a trend that I'm about to kind of get into. But now coming back to the Broadduses as, as a suspect, you know, following the decision by the Neighborhood Association, preventing the demolishing and the rebuilding, right? They didn't want to change the rules, essentially. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people who had rejected the proposal online or who were vocal about not allowing this change especially those who believe that the Watcher was a hoax, started receiving letters, typed letters. We're not certain how many of these letters went out, but we know that the type of folks who got the letters tended to be the ones that were against the uh, the rule change. These letters expressed anger at their decision, similar to the Watcher's letters, and they were all signed at the bottom, friends of the Broadus family. Now, the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because you might think, okay, Your gut check says maybe, uh, well, is the Watcher turning around? Is he saying, why didn't you let him demolish the home that I watched so he could put up two for me to watch? Like, I don't know. But it turns out, and this is really the reason why the Broadduses maintain themselves as a suspect. Yeah. In an interview with The Cut, Derek admitted that he was the one who sent those letters. He created letters that felt very much like the Watcher's letters and sent them out to other neighbors in response to the unanimous, hey, you can't demolish, you can't rebuild kind of thing. So he was clearly upset, but um, so he's really muddied the waters. If he's not the watcher, if he's not doing the watcher activity, he certainly didn't help himself by imitating the very person plaguing him. And he claims that he didn't even tell his wife about this. So it goes to stand or stands to reason that if he's the watcher, that he might not have told her about that either. And maybe he got too deep too fast and couldn't reveal to her that he was the Watcher because, I mean, if she's really this distraught over it as she deserves to be, this is a very, very sketch situation. Mm-hmm. He probably wasn't keen on the retaliation, right? Yeah, they want to come forward and that's going to cause a whole bunch of issues. Mm-hmm. But building on this idea, right, we, we've laid a very loose groundwork from whatever little we can, you know, dig into here that maybe it's Derek Broaddus. Um, but others kind of theorize that just building off of what could possibly be in it for the Broadduses, especially if we get rid of the idea that it's a financial thing, we get rid of the idea that it's this and that. A lot of people are saying, well, what could they get out of this? Maybe they created the Watcher as some sort of way to get a movie deal or get a book deal or a story they just wanted to get a story out there and and i these are some of those backwards looking theories that make sense in hindsight makes sense once you know everything but i would be hard pressed to say that's a i'm buying a home and i'm gonna create a netflix special so i'm gonna write myself a letter and get scared like but i don't know that's so i mean like all that work for for possibly that yeah well here here's what they're using to backwards come up with this theory and i Mm -hmm. think again it's it it's going out on a limb imagine doing this and hoping that you get this this is why i think people are looking back 
and recasting the past based on newfound evidence. Well, Netflix did in fact purchase the rights to this story. They didn't guarantee that anything would happen from it, but they did purchase the rights. And so I think people are taking that information and saying, maybe. Oh, yeah. That's what they were after. But I don't think that they could have rightfully predicted that that would come down the way. No. You know? It's extremely difficult to get something sold. I'm, I'm as people who have tried to do it, Fredo, <laughs> yep. you and I, it is extremely difficult. Yeah. Even for privileged folks and people with connections, uh, let alone a family in the suburbs of New Jersey. It's, it's just not, you know, typical. That's a hindsight type of view. Um, right. In theory, for me, I, I don't think they had. Yeah, I don't think there would have like been an intention to to stir up all that with the hopes of something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, I did. I didn't even know this piece uh, that we have here in my notes. But Lifetime actually released a movie in 2016, two years okay after this started. Very much in the in the thick of things, emotions are high. You know, the family's distraught. 2016, Lifetime releases a movie based on this story. And uh, obviously the Broadduses are reaching out several times with ceases and desists. Cease and desists. Yeah. I, I, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, Again, I don't want to fully discredit it just because it's my own opinion, but mm -hmm. it's very hard to say. I'm going to get a movie deal and then do the thing. And I mean, maybe they got lucky, but no, I don't know. I can't. I can't put any of my eggs in that basket. That mm -hmm. one's, it, yeah, I feel like that's just like, obviously, yeah, it's, you know, that happened and then Lifetime's trying to make something pop off of that, but uh, I don't know. You get the family and everything, and really just trying to cause and stir up your own drama. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, ultimately when it, you know, we're going to close out on the Broadduses as a suspect or as, you know, Derek as a suspect, you know, ultimately... I think people made valiant efforts in trying to develop a motive based on the circumstances, but it's just one of those cases that is very, very difficult. But the last piece I want to leave us with is the fact that Derek is admitting in an interview to have written these other letters to the neighbors saying, hey, we're angry at you for not allowing this family to demolish and rebuild. But to this day, Derek actively refutes the idea of the watcher themselves, the initial letters being a hoax or being himself. And so why admit to one and then maybe not the other? I don't know. Maybe, maybe embarrassment or maybe it's not him. I mean, I know that neighborhoods get pretty heated up and HOAs could be a real big pain in the butt. I don't, I don't think, I don't know, like to send the letter even before they have moved in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like before they moved in to start that whole thing up uh, just seems so early. Maybe, maybe if like afterwards, but just like, I don't know, we're closing on this house. Time to kick up that idea in the back of my mind. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I'm not with the theory. financial angle and I'm not with the movie angle. Mm -hmm. And those were the main angles for the Broadus family. But as always, I have to commend you on the gut check because it's a perfect segue into the final, more broad suspect or pool of suspects that I want to talk about. And that is that of the neighborhood, the entire neighborhood or the community nearby. Perhaps the neighborhood didn't feel that this family fit their community, that they didn't fit the profile or fit in or what have you. And they sent letters to this family to get them to leave. 
It could be that the family, obviously very protective of their location based on the, the unanimous rule change denial. It could be that they're very protective and don't like that these historic houses are being changed. And when this family came in, they were remodeling and that's the day after contractors showed up is when the letter shows up. So there, there is a point of a strong check mark in that possible box. It, it did, there was a part, I think it was one of the letters that talked about, it made it appear as if there were multiple people involved, right? Oh, really? Yeah, I think they talked about, um, uh, they had helpers or something like that. You're right. They said, my soldiers of the boulevard followed my orders yeah. to a T. And so, again, that desperate housewife situation, I don't know if you've ever seen the show, but oh, there's, I have. okay, <laughs> there's, there's like that mother, uh, that has the daughter at the school and then she's like, the ultimate, right? She is the number one. Mm -hmm. Everyone looks up to her for their style and, and whatever trend setting she's doing. She leads the, the parent teacher association or whatever it is. I don't know. And so maybe that we have someone like that here. The same character was in, in WandaVision, right? It's just right. a very, yeah. very uh, stereotypical thing. And I feel like this neighborhood very much fits into the, the narrative or the inspiration yeah, of both those could. shows. Yeah. You know what? That is a great point. Let's just dive more into it. You know, because going back, it seems like they held judgment over the family and how they came to own this home after owning a home of significantly lesser value. Again, at least a million dollars in difference. And yep. again, you and I understand as people that aren't in this neighborhood or whatever, that there's a million reasons why that could be. But I think it says a lot about the potential neighbors if this is... Uh, something that they're getting hung up on. And it does put another check mark in the in the motive column for the neighbors being the suspect, the, the, just the, the collection of neighbors. Diving back into one of the letters, you know, I, I kind of read through the major highlights. They're, they're longer and I didn't want to read through all of them, but I do want to read through this section here. This piece of the letter reveals a dislike for, quote, new money that the Broadduses are bringing to the neighborhood. So... Huh. Okay. Again, the, whoever this watcher is, is, is bringing a lot of defense to the plate when it, uh, for this house, right? So think of it again in terms of the neighbor. Quote, The house is crying from all the pain that it's going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy you are stealing its history. It cries for the past, what used to be the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard, when I ran from room to room, imagining the life with the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. Then it got old, and so did my father. But he kept watching until the day he died, and now I watch and wait for the day when young blood will be mine again. So this letter is referring to the 1960s, running from room to room. There's a lot of language in here that, to me, backwards reflect onto what Christian was saying earlier. Remember that ex-mayor of Westfield living there, moving there in the 1913 or so, watching over the house through the 20s, and then having a kid of his own who then moved into the house themselves in the 60s. And then remember, I mean, they're two different families, so I don't want to get this uh, conflated. Yeah. But remember, the Langfords then also had the father figure who passed away in 2002. And so... To me, those two families still very much tumble around in my mind when you think of the language of this particular excerpt. Sounds kind of cultish. <laughs> it definitely sounds cultish. <laughs> this, neighborhood, this neighborhood. Oh <laughs> I'm telling you, dude, it, uh, you you might be onto something. I think we've uncovered <laughs> a deeper mystery. Uh, that we've scratched the surface, and we've got a 
I don't know, a, a satanic cult neighborhood. We have a lot of uh, uh, maybe older generations living here with their adult children living with them, just yearning for young blood to stay young forever. So I, weird. Also, I mean, it would add up with the amount of like information that the Watcher was able to pull on the family. Yeah. Well, uh, there's not, again, it's the nature of this particular case, and that's what really uh, stinks, but there's not a whole lot of things to dive into, and so that's why the theories kind of feel a little bit flimsy at best, or yeah. tangential at best. But, Fizzles out. Mm-hmm. But the last interesting note here that I wanted to say regarding this, I suppose, collection of suspects was that during the board hearing regarding that rule on property size allowances, it turned out that there were several other properties on Boulevard itself that by this rule were technically too small. And so the fact is those houses could have been permitted. They could have been overlooked because other properties had been. And so it seems very much like anti that family rather yeah. than protective of that house. I don't I don't know. And, and to me, you can extrapolate huh. that in a lot of different ways. But to me, that says if it was the neighbors, they're very protective of the change going on in the neighborhood, protective of the optics, how the neighborhood looks, keeping it historic, whatever, whatever excuse they could latch on to to stop this family from doing whatever they naturally wanted to do. This new money from coming yeah, in. Yeah, very... It, right, yeah. I, hmm. It seemed like they had these rules that they didn't want to break, and now we find out that you know the primary rule that we were talking about has been broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. That does make it appear that they just don't like this family, which is yeah, really shitty. Yep, yep. I mean, especially since the whole neighborhood got in on this, they were all going to the meetings. They were all talking about it on Facebook or whatever. And the last thing to me, the last big contradiction. With regards to these watcher notes, some of the messages are that second one was a bit contradictory to the first, very lightly in regards to, hey, the house misses you, but also like, screw you. Or that was the third letter or so. Is the fact that they they don't like new money coming in. They don't want like younger families that are coming through that are obviously very by particular. way of being a different generation change the neighborhood, but they're looking for young blood. They're like, we want young uh, blood. We need fresh blood here. But not the kind of blood that's gonna like change things, though. We want you to do with stuff our way, but, but, but bring fresh blood. But then, what about the previous owners? You'd think that they would be a part of it, right? Probably. And and if that was the case, well, maybe. Then, yeah, uh, like assume like the neighborhood's very cultish. Then I would I would say that the previous owners more likely would be a part of it. And with that said, it's like, well, then why sell the house to the family in the first place? Hmm. Well, maybe it was just a, um, it wasn't even about that house in particular. Maybe the family that sold it, you know, the families come and go over generations. And it's a big deal when, I'm again, I'm extrapolating from this theory, but maybe it's a big yeah. deal when people sell or buy houses there. And that in this particular case, they were being very judgmental of the Broadduses coming through. And then they started seeing that they were changing it. And so the previous family might have been of the same mentality of the rest of the neighbors, which is, uh, I like the neighborhood looking this way and feeling that way and having the aesthetic and feel of that, this and the other. But they weren't so like, this house itself needs to So when they started changing that home, it could have been any home. Maybe they just created the entity that is the watcher. And, and maybe the watcher, father to son to son, isn't so literal. Maybe it is just 
this neighborhood abroad has watched mm-hmm. itself. And whoever's saying, I command the, the, the people of this neighborhood, maybe they're just like the head of the uh, the HOA, as it were. And, and <laughs> Yeah, the, the cult HOA. Yeah, like that's their personal mission. Like my father led the PTA and then now I do or whatever acronym. I, I don't have a, a young family, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but like, I mean, I, I guess I can I can extrapolate a more believable story from the pieces in this kind of theory you know what i mean yeah but yeah i mean it's compelling interesting but man do i hope that family's doing okay now <laughs> it's it definitely i really yeah I, I mean more than likely better than this situation that they had yeah yeah i mean, you know a lot of these theories are exactly what i thought they'd be right we look at the neighborhood we look at the family all that kind of stuff so that, mm-hmm. that kind of like was aligned with my thoughts of what it would be right well, that before we go into the smaller theories, there are a few just uh, less built out theories that do attempt to uh, answer what's going on here. But Christian, do we have any information now that we know that this house was sold in 2019? Uh, do we have any information regarding do they live there? Do they rent it out? Have they changed it? Have they experienced anything from letters? Uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't attempt to cover that. All right. There's not a lot of info. So the home was sold to the new owners in 2019 for just under a million reporters have attempted to reach out to them for comment, but they have declined to say anything, citing concerns about privacy. That's fair. That's entirely fair. But have we seen them leave the house? Have they melted into the walls? <laughs> have they become ghosts of the place? I mean, I jest, but Do truly, uh, I'm I'm really curious. I mean, again, I, re- I want to respect their privacy and anyone listening at home, if you want to investigate further, just know to respect others' privacy. But I would be curious, truly, if they had received any letters and if they did and if they ignored it, I'm not sure. But uh, I feel like there there might be some new facts sleeping under the surface that because of privacy reasons, we might not ever know. And that's totally fine. Yeah, that's just so I just feel like it's just a weird neighborhood. I'm starting to starting to think this neighborhood is just it's it's the neighborhood that watches. Oh, yeah. I mean, we just about it being like. Uh, a blood-fueled satanic cult or whatever, like the movies. But by the definition of a cult, this feels like it could just be this community has eccentric beliefs and it could be some sort of Illuminati, Freemason sort of type of grouping. And 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 maybe they just all feel very proud of what they've got going on in their yep. neighborhood and how dare you change it. Right. Yeah, it seems like this neighborhood goes back a bit, so. Yeah. Just in case anyone's wondering, anyone listening is wondering, the real estate agent who facilitated the sale to the new couple also declined to comment on the house to uh, any reporters. Makes sense. I mean, they're essentially the representative for yeah. their client. So, yeah, I, I'm surprised. You know, this this reminds me of the Amityville house. And I think they changed the address for that location just to help with that very same thing, the privacy stuff and prevent people from coming by. But when you know where it is, you know where it is. I, I'm curious if... Um, if they would change that, they probably wouldn't. They don't want to change that. They, that neighborhood doesn't want any change. <laughs> nope, not at all. Well, they, 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 the rules they think, you know, they say are really tight, but it's, it's, I don't know. Some people are allowed to break rules, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if you've been there for generations from the twenties, yeah. you can do anything. Uh, but let's talk about some of the smaller theories that are, uh, well, I think we mainly have one deeply creepy, but worth mentioning, at least for a little bit here, is uh, one small theory 
proposes that the mysterious person leaving these notes might have actually been, at least for a time, living in the walls of the house. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how quickly I want to dismiss or believe that, but old homes have a lot of nooks and crannies. There could be, like, there could be rooms that are entirely walled off. Uh, I know people that have remodeled it and found full rooms just hidden in their home. But also the fact that in one of the letters, they say themselves, do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? You know, there's there's a lot of things, a lot of language that if you wanted to, it kind of like open your mind a little bit. You could attach this theory to and say, maybe they're implying that they're physically in the walls. And I mean, listen, there's a lot of stories of people finding out that I think we've talked about this recently, yeah, the, actually. The boy. Uh, was, well, there's the boy. The movie, the boy. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I mean, there's there's real life stories of of people finding uh, others living in their attics or living in a secret room that they didn't know about. So, I mean, it's not so wild. Uh, it's definitely possible, but I'm not sure if that's exactly what's happening here. I mean, I do want to say, if they're living in the walls, this would also help answer as to how they know so much about yeah. this family and have heard so many private conversations. But another excerpt that I didn't read, and I'll read for you now, is what people kind of base this theory off of. But it says, quote, the workers have been busy and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time, they will. So again, yeah. another reference to what's inside the walls. Right. That's why in the beginning of the episode, I wanted to, I was asking if there was anything in particular in terms of like, you know, the build of the house because there mm -hmm. was the mention of being in the walls and stuff like that. But why ask where the children are located in the house? Great question. Wouldn't, wouldn't you know? Yep. You're in the walls. Weird. Right. Weird. I mean, I don't know. Unless they don't have a little like, could you just imagine like a little drill hole every now and then like, <laughs> like a comedy where somebody's living in the walls and, it, and yeah. the kids are sleeping. You just see as like a drill pops through the wall. They're just trying to, who the heck is in here? I can't see. They just keep drilling holes through the wall to see who's in there. Yep. I don't know. I, I just like, I don't think that this is exactly it because I think it complicates the letter delivery. I think it complicates the expedient response that they had. I think it complicates the fact that uh, they waited until there was a tenant and then two weeks later they responded. They could have lived in it while it was vacant. Totally possible. But I'm not sure that this is what was happening personally. Yeah. But it, it does it does kind of strike some fear into me because I've heard too many stories about this actually happening and I just don't like it. <laughs> it's just not okay. Plain and simple. Not a fan. But yeah, man. Old houses. This one's built, what was it? 1904. Five, I want to say. Let me let me look. 1905. So far back. Yeah, I have family members that have a uh, an equally, maybe actually slightly older home in a very similar situation back home where I'm from, and it's closer to the downtown area, and uh, it's definitely spooky. There's definitely nooks and crannies of that home that <laughs> you might not ever find uh, if you weren't looking for them. So. I don't I don't like thinking about it. I don't like thinking yeah. about it. No, I'm I've yeah, I'm searching for newer houses. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't want anything old. Well, just have Jackie peek into the attic and look around, you know. 
<laughs> if, if there's a ghoul up there. There's a, there's a ghoul. <laughs> a ghoul. Uh, there would be a damn ghoul in my place. Jackie would be like, be. back up. I kill you. <laughs> there would be a damn ghoul. Just my luck. We'll get that place cleansed up nicely. And then yeah. you know what? I'll uh, I'll do some sort Good of Ouija seance under your porch. Call in a new thing. <laughs> no, and I, and I, and I won't takes. say goodbye. That way there's a new entity at your place. You know, I'll no. do a whole conjuring three on you. You think, and then you take it with you, and I go, oh, well, that's Trevor's problem now. No, you have to destroy my altar if you want it to be broken. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, that is the Watcher House. Uh, one of my, I mean, I, I love every mystery we, we discuss, but this is definitely up there with as one of my favorites. And it's an, another one of those unique internet ones that kind of crossed over i think uh from what would otherwise be considered traditional true crime Mm -hmm. and then went viral on the internet thankfully nothing happened to the family Um, yes and yeah i mean this one hit close to home for me because i am yeah in the thick of uh house hunting and stuff so i have just another horror story to add to the list of horror (laughs) stories i hear about like buying a house yeah (laughs) owning a house oh man well whatever you do don't forego the inspection yeah hell that no. guy that inspector they'll find the ghouls they'll you know what the inspector know. goes in doesn't come tell out you though shark in the house that shark in the walls <laughs> oh it's like street sharks except the fins are like tearing up your walls shark all right in the walls well that's been another fantastic one uh gut check was on point as always this episode you Love that. And I, you know what? And that's why I'm confident that when you hit the field, whether you're looking for a house or uh, we're out there with flashlights looking for cryptids in the middle mm-hmm. of the night, I just know that you're going to be good because you've got that that solid gut instinct to keep you safe Yeah, and hide yeah. me behind it, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you say that. <laughs> when you turn around, I'm not going <laughs> to be anywhere yeah, it's gonna near be like, you. What was that? I look left. I look back right. You're, it's just, it's a comic of a, a dust gone. cloud and you're already gone. I am miles away. <laughs> All right, well, that's The Watcher House. I hope you all enjoyed. As always, thank you for supporting the show, whether it's by spreading it with word of mouth. I see a lot of those tweets sharing us. We greatly appreciate it. As a reminder, store.roosterteeth.com, search Red Web, and we have a plethora of Task Force merch. We have posters, shirts, hoodies, hats. Join the squad. Yeah, squad up a little bit. And we'll see you all next Monday for another mystery. Bye, everyone. Bye.